Welcome, everybody. We are grateful to see you here today. It is good to be together. I appreciated what, what Nate said. Yeah, that is right. It is good to have a chance to see each other and to worship. And Nate, one day, it will be 24-7. I am grateful for that hope. Um, so we, I'm not deviating from our lesson plan in Deuteronomy, even though we had read today this passage from Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. Uh, Jesus meets the temptations of Satan with scripture. And the scripture he meets uh, Satan with are all from this part of Deuteronomy that we've already been studying. A lot of what Jeremy did last week and some of the other passages we've already been looking at. When, when Jesus is out there in the wilderness and, and scholars think, you know, it wasn't just like Satan shows up, gives Jesus three quick temptations and then leaves. It was a long period of testing and struggle for Jesus. What kind of Messiah are you going to be? Can I get you, Satan says, to deviate away from God's real plan? Can I get you to take a lower path, a different path, a separate path? And it's a struggle. And what sustained our Savior is the same thing that can sustain you, the word of the Almighty God. And in particular, it was Deuteronomy versus the devil in that context. Jesus again and again fills his mouth with the words that Moses spoke over a thousand years earlier to the Israelites. This is how God's people will act. This is how God's people will stay true to him. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your study sheet, you can follow along. Otherwise, you can be there in Matthew. I will read the passages in Deuteronomy that we're going to focus on. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I imagine he was. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it happens, the passage that Jesus quotes is about verse 3. And whenever in the New Testament somebody quotes scripture, we go back and we look at the context of that scripture, and sure enough, we come to understand what it was that Jesus had learned about God's people that he brings to bear on this temptation. You're hungry? God has just finished at the baptism naming you his son, his king, his royal one on earth. You are here representing God. Surely God will let you use the power that he's granting you to feed yourself. And Jesus says from Deuteronomy 8, Verse 3, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What's going on there? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, be careful, Moses tells the Israelites, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. 
so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord uh, has promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his command. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's the passage in Deuteronomy. What was Moses teaching the Israelites? God, for 40 years, every morning, fed them manna. For 40 years, when they got up in the morning, there lying about the camp was this food essentially handed to them by their Lord and God. Moses goes on and says, and by the way, you notice that your shoes didn't wear out? You've been walking in the desert for 40 years and your shoes didn't wear out and your clothes endured. Who did that for you? God did. God is overwhelmingly generous. God actually takes joy in providing for our basic needs. We're hungry, and God enjoys seeing us eat. We're thirsty, and God enjoys providing what it is that we drink. That's just the way God is. And that's meant to help us come to a realization. about what it means to live a human life. We gotta eat, we gotta drink, we gotta have clothes to put on our back, we gotta have shoes to put on our feet, well, after we're five at least, we have to have shoes to put on our feet. God knows all of that. God wants to give us all those things. But the thing that we need more than all of that, what's supposed to dawn on us through this process of receiving the blessings of God, the thing that we need more than all of that is to follow God's word. That's what Jesus had learned. That's what Jesus says back to Satan, to follow God's word. When I was a kid, I think, most people, my age, most of the people who are in their 60s now remember being kids when the astronauts were first going up into space. I was fast. I built all the models. I had a model of the Mercury rocket and, and the Gemini rocket. I had a, a really elaborate model of the Apollo missions, including the lunar lander. I painted it gold. It was beautiful. It was a thing of beauty. I loved that whole process of going into space. But do you realize what human beings learned when we went into space? We got to take our own air. Nobody's giving us free air up there. We got to take our own water. Nobody's just making it rain. We got to take our own radiation shielding. Nobody's providing a big magnetic force field around us like our earth does. 
And over and over and over again, in order to survive out there in space, we realize we have to take and manufacture all these things that here on this planet we get for free. Who gives those to us? God does. Exactly. God knows our needs. He delights in providing for us. And the more we realize that, the more we will want to follow God's word. These good things come from God. And so when God tells me this is how he wants me to live, when God tells me this is the way he wants me to treat those around me, when God tells me this is the way he wants my body to be taken care of, when God tells me those things, I want to follow the word of God. That's what Jesus learned. That's how Jesus beat Satan. Jesus continues this temptation, or Satan continues this temptation. Then the devil, verse 5 of Matthew 4, then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you do not even strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus goes back to the well of Deuteronomy. This time, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Moses tells the Israelites, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. When you get into the land of Canaan, don't follow other gods. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. You've already done that at Massa and Meribah. And there Jesus is remember, I mean, Moses is remembering very clearly uh, the episode that happens. It's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The Israelites are out in the wilderness. For the past year, they've seen God strike the Egyptians again and again and again with plagues. Finally, the Egyptians say, here, take our money, take our gold, take our silver, just leave our land. And the Israelites go loaded down with wealth to partially make up for their 400 years of slavery. And as they leave the country, Pharaoh thinks better of it. He sends a squadron of his army to take them back into captivity. And there the Israelites find themselves trapped against the Red Sea. And God not only stands between them all night with a cloud, a, a fiery pillar, but God has Moses hold his rod over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opens and provides a dry land bridge for the Israelites to walk across. And the Israelites cross, and when the Egyptians try to follow, God destroys the, Israel, uh, the Egyptian army. When the Egyptians try to follow, God destroys that army. And then when the Israelites were hungry, God provided them manna to eat. When the Israelites wanted meat, God provided them quail to eat. But here in chapter 17, the Israelites say, well, now we're out of water, Moses. What are you going to do about it? Is God really with us or not, Moses? 
What are you going to do about that? Did you bring us out into the wilderness to just let us die? Did God bring us out into the wilderness to just let us die of thirst? What has God done for us lately, Moses? You get it? I think Moses was in a smiting mood that day, but God says, no, we're going to provide him water. And sure enough, the rock starts pouring out water for them. Hard rock becomes a spring. Is God among us or not? But Moses remembers 40 years later, he says, do not. Put the Lord your God to the test the way you did back there at Massa. He named that place Massa and Meribah, testing and quarreling, because Israel did both of those things with God. Quarreling and testing God. Is God really going to come through for us? Is God really going to be there when we need him? Don't put the Lord your God to the test. It's an interesting concept. Because Satan tells Jesus, you've just heard in the baptism, the heavens opened and the voice of God told you, you're the son of God. You are God's anointed. You're, you're the Messiah that your people have been waiting for all these centuries. You're it. Surely, if you jump off this temple, Psalm 91 will come true and the angels will come and keep you from crashing to your death below. And everyone will see and you'll know that God is going to be there for you. And Jesus remembers Deuteronomy 6, 60. And he says, you not Put the Lord your God to the test. All of us probably know couples where one person is super suspicious of the other. Where were you? Who were you with? What were you doing? Those are not very healthy relationships. If you can't trust someone that you love, whenever they are outside of your sight to continue to love you, that is not a healthy relationship. I want to tell you something, church. Our relationship with God is really not that much different. And there is a kind of sickness or illness of our faith life in which we start acting kind of like the Israelites did. What's God done for me lately? Yeah, he's helped me in the past. He's done these things for me. But is he going to come through this time? Is God really going to be there when I need him? If God really loves me, he's going to do this. God, if you're really real, do this. You shall not Put the Lord your God to the test. It's as true today as it was back then. See, God's blessings 
are free gifts from his love to us. God loves to give you blessings. He loves to do good things in your life. That's part of God's overflowing bounteous love. We are never in a position to demand that God give those gifts. Never. God, if you're really real, do this. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The temptations continue. Verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, Satan said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to Jesus. Here Jesus quotes again from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This time verses 13 and 14 are the key passages. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. I mean, Satan is telling Jesus, don't you see what a mess the world is in? And don't you see that I have the power to put you in charge instead of the Caesars who are ruining the world? I have the power to let you decide who's running things in Jerusalem and in Rome. I can do that. All you've got to do is play the game my way, Jesus. Bow down and worship me now. You'll be in so much power. Then you can serve God, no problem. That was a temptation. And Jesus says, I know what my Bible has taught me. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy versus the devil. And the devil lost. I love that story. Satan has all kinds of ways to whisper in your ear to say, you can serve God once we've solved this problem. Once we deal with this difficulty that you're facing, once we deal with this particular urge that you're having, we'll get back to serving God later. Right now, you got to do it my way. Satan loves to play that game. You shall serve the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. No matter what others say, no matter what else is going on, God must come first in our lives. Period. There's no other way to do this human life thing. Every other way we try to do it, it makes a mess of things. Yesterday, as Jeremy pointed out in our 
communion talk. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of those horrific attacks. 19 people, in the name of God, murdered thousands. Wanted to murder more. One flight was prevented by the bravery of the passengers. And they did that because their minds were full of essentially a lie like this. Muslims are taught that God, Allah, loves peace and hates the aggressors. It's actually in their Quran. And these people said, no, but our enemies don't understand anything except death and terror. We'll get back to mercy. We'll get back to peace. We'll get back to non-aggression after we've defeated our enemies. That was what was in Osama bin Laden's mind when he planned those attacks and he funded them. That's what was in the hijackers' minds when they carried them out. We know what we're supposed to do, but right now, our enemy is so bad, they'll only understand terror and death. And what's creepy to me is that America's response and the rest of the world's response was kind of the same. These enemies are so bad that the only thing, only response we can think of is to rain answering terror and death down on them. And we answer terror with terror, and we answer death with death, and now, even more. People from the other side say, see? We are dealing with Satan himself. Only terror, only death will work to respond. And then our leaders say, see? We're dealing with totally unreasonable people. Only terror, only death will work. Shouldn't surprise us, I guess. The kingdoms of the world, Satan has his hooks in them. He's not called the prince of this world for no reason. And the kingdoms of this world always tend to get themselves enmeshed in that cycle. Revenge, 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 revenge. I got to get you back because you got me, and you got to get me back because I got you. Revenge, 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 revenge. And church, no matter what people say, no matter what's going on, our God must come first. And our God sent us our own king. I know what the kingdoms of the worlds are going to do, and they're always going to do that until Jesus comes back. But our king said this. He said, let me tell you something. Everybody is nice to their friends and hateful to their enemies. Everybody. The worst person you know is nice to his friends and hateful to his enemies. Everybody does that. That is nothing to be proud of. That is not breaking you out of any kingdom of Satan. 
Everybody does that. But Jesus said, listen, don't you see what God, the God you call your father, what he's actually like? His sunshine right now today is falling on our heads and on the heads of people that hate him. His rain falls on our fields to make our food grow and falls on the fields of people who are rebelling actively against him. There is this incredible height and breadth and depth and width to the love of God that just stretches beyond our imagination. Don't you see what your heavenly father is like? He keeps pouring out love even to people who are acting as his enemies. And often it doesn't seem to work. People just go on being stubborn. And it doesn't stop God's love. He keeps on loving. And if you want to be children of the one you've been calling father, then here's what I want you to do. Our king says, here's what I want you to do. Find a way to love your enemies. Because God's been doing that. Not because they deserve it. They don't. They don't deserve it when God loves them. But because that's what God is like. And no matter what anyone says, and no matter what else is going on, God must always come first. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we are so grateful for the incredible breadth and height and depth and width of your love. Far beyond our understanding, but we want to understand it more. And God, we want to grow. We want to grow to be able to love the way you love. Make us bigger. Help us to forgive those that have wronged us and to find a way to help them because we see that's what you're doing. God, help us to overcome the pain that we didn't cause. Help us to figure out ways to try and make it better because that's what we see you doing. God, help us to fix ruined relationships and work for reconciliation because that's what we see you doing. Our Father, bless us with growth. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God, if you need to respond to our King Jesus, if you need prayers or help or there's something you need the church to know about and you want to come forward publicly and tell us, Please do that. We're going to sing in a minute. You just come on forward and tell us. Or it may be that today is the day that you want to finally 
have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. We will take you, we will bury you in water, and when you rise up out of the water, you will be a new creation in Jesus Christ. If that's what you want today, why don't you come forward, tell us what we can do as we stand and are led in song.